Hello and welcome to the Farm Forum with FCN Glasgow, the podcast that shuts its eyes every time a high ball comes into our box and is starting to wonder what lengths a defender needs to go to for us to get a penalty. This week on Farm Forum, more refereeing controversy, a welcome return for Gosby Donio and saying farewell to a Farm favourite. Hi and welcome to the Farm Forum with FCN Glasgow. My name is Mark Collins and we're changing it up a little bit this week. I am flying solo for the first time. Um, regular guest Stephen is unavailable tonight. And we debated whether we could combine this with Land obviously playing on Monday and Friday this week. We debated combining that into one pod. But decided that there was enough content in the game against Land to do a normal post-match pod. So we'll have this one out and then we'll follow it up with hopefully our first victory pod against Horsens on Friday. So the opportunity to go two matches out of two with the team selection being predicted by ourselves, we let ourselves down a little bit and we didn't really do much of a build-up to the Michelin game, which didn't give us the opportunity to keep our 100% record of team selection intact. That said, Casper Oman sprung a few changes for the match, so I'm not sure we can honestly say that we would have been able to predict the team anyway. Hillman brought in Tiedemann Hansen and Matthias Rasmussen as well. There was no Ernest Asante, which was perhaps the, the most surprising aspect of it. I think in terms of the Tiedemann change, you can see that he was looking at the physicality of Michelin. It's something I area we tend to struggle. And I think he felt bringing in that third centre-half alongside Ulrich and Nelson would perhaps give us a little bit more physicality in there. As the game progressed, we began to realise perhaps that despite the extra man, that maybe um, didn't have too much of an impact. But I, I think that's the justification behind his team. On to the game itself, and it started in quite familiar circumstances. Uh, you could see immediately that uh, Michelin were obviously looking for the real threat that they possess. I think they're the most headed goals scored in Superliga this season. And they brought Paul Onacho back as well, who is a face I wasn't looking forward to seeing. I I was hoping he would still be out of the team like he has been previous weeks, but unfortunately he was back in the team, which obviously gives them that presence um, up front. And it only took until the 13th minute for the first refereeing controversy of the game. A bit of a strange incident um, involved a kind of long high through ball, which um, Matthias Rasmussen managed to get himself on the end of. He was clean through on the, on the goalkeeper and quite clearly clipped uh, by, by Bubakar Sane. Interestingly, there was no foul given and the referee seemed to play on. Now, on the replay, it's quite clear to see for me anyway that, that Matthias Rasmussen is offside when the ball is originally played, but the linesman doesn't put his flag up. So it's the scenario of two wrongs don't make a right in this situation. The, the linesman doesn't flag for offside, so therefore does, does he have to give the foul given that Rasmussen's quite clearly taken out by Sane? And then if he gives the foul, then... Bubakar Sane has to be sent off the pitch. He's, it's a denying a clear goal scoring opportunity. It actually reminded me of an incident in the game the last time any of the boys in FC in Glasgow were in Farham, which was a game against Holbro just before the, the winter break. The goal that Matthias Rasmussen himself scores. Um, I think it comes from an Alex goal kick. And Emiliano Marcondes must be the best part of 15, 20 yards offside. The defence retreat and Marcondes just makes a bridge with his back for the defender 
It strikes Marcondes on the head and then bounces through towards the goalkeeper with Matthias Rasmussen running in. Matthias Rasmussen is able to round the goalkeeper and score. But Marcondes has affected the game. He's, he's assisted the goal effectively and he should be flagged for offside. And this was a very similar incident, albeit one that we didn't benefit from in the sense that the clearance is up the park and offside should be given. It's not. And then Rasmussen is obviously brought down. So a bit of a strange one that both the linesman and referee get completely wrong in isolated incidents. So it's, it's a bit of an odd way to start the game. And it wasn't too long before we felt a little bit punished by that when Bubakar Sani put Michelin up by a goal to nil. And unsurprisingly, I suppose, it came from our Achilles heel, which is aerial balls into the box. Yeah, this time it was a long throw. It's it's an area of the game that we've been we've been battered with over the course of this season, particularly by Horsens and and then again by by Michelin. And as you'll know from communication on social media or from previous pods, and um, we're quite big fans of analytics in FC in Glasgow. We like to have a look at some of the stats and and provide them. And I had a little look over the the course of the season and just to check weakness. In aerial situations, I just like I just wanted to see how that compared to the rest of Superliga. So I had a look, and I make it around twenty-one goals this season from high balls. Now that's out of fifty-four conceded, so that's that's a significant percentage of goals conceded. Now not all of them are scored with the head; um, only eight, but thirteen of them do come from set pieces. So that's a combination of either corners or long throws. Those eight goals conceded by headers is the most in Superliga. You might not be surprised to hear. Um, I think only Lingby are second to us in terms of the most goals that they've conceded from headers. So perhaps no surprise, I suppose, when Bubakar Sani heads them uh, one nothing up. It just feels like such a cheap goal to lose and it, and it makes you really apprehensive to give away silly throw-ins. Um, even if you're 30 yards from your goal line, normal circumstances should dictate that that doesn't possess too much of a danger. But sadly for uh, teams like Michelin, who have Keen Hansen throwing the ball into the box in those situations, and Horsens, of course, who have punished us um, numerous times in that same manner, and we're likely probably to experience more of that on Friday. Bubakar Sani, the man that we've mentioned a couple of times now, albeit he probably could argue he might not be in the park at this time, but he is another chance from a corner that he probably should do better with. Again, similar to the goals we've been conceding over the last few weeks. I know Stephen mentioned Camille Vilcek in the last pod. Again, Sane is practically unmarked at the corner. He's got a free header, which, like I said, he should do better with. And he just glances wide. And at this point, we were really struggling to get a hold of the game. Um, very uncharacteristic of us. We were really struggling to keep the ball and giving it away cheaply after a couple of passes, and Michelin certainly were deserving um, of their lead at this point. And it really took until the end of the, the first half, in the last minute really, where there was a real flurry of chances. Paul and Atchew had a header that was cleared by a combination of um, Victor Nelson and Alex, and then probably our best chance of the half, where um, Matthias Jensen, I believe it was Jonathan Amon that played them in, and he just on the left-hand side of the box, he just tries to poke it underneath Hansen as he runs out and he gets down low to his left and actually makes it makes a really good save. But maybe around 30 seconds later, we had another where Carlo Bartolex played down the right-hand side and gets a... He does really well, actually. I thought the ball was going to trickle out for a goal kick, but Carlo just manages to wrap his foot around it and get the ball in. And Mikhail Damskar is at the front post and he just flashes a header across the goal and... I made the cardinal sin of the football fan. I'm sure every single one of you who's listened to this has done it before, where I was up celebrating because I thought the ball was in the net and clearly celebrated too early as it trickled wide. 
But it put us going into half time, it put us um, with a 1 0 deficit. And again, at that point, I suppose you're just looking for the fact that it's only one and you can sort of readdress the situation, maybe look at making some changes to the team and come out second half and try and impose yourself a little bit more. And similar to what Casper uh, Yeoman did against Bromby and Farham, as he makes two changes at the half, we mentioned on, I think that was episode one, that that was quite unlike Yeoman, but. Um, he's obviously done it two games out of the last three now and he takes off uh, Big Ulrich and Matthias Rasmussen um, who again struggled from the start he seems to be a player that uh, an impact player from the bench and, and looks very bright and quite often scores or sets up a goal but when he gets the opportunity to start games it just doesn't feel like the same he's, he's on the periphery a little bit and I think I'm still not sure what 100% Matthias Rasmussen's best position is yet I think that's still something that they need to figure out he seems to always plays off the left or off the right but he quite clearly prefers to be in central areas and I'm not sure we can accommodate him in that position yet. But on came Mikael Riga and Ernest Asante and similar again to stuff that's been happening over the last few games, Gaspar Roman changed from the 3-4-3 back to a more of a 4-3-3 in the second half, the shape that we'd felt that worked better against Bromby. So you were again, you were hoping that was going to be the case for the second half. And immediately... Jonathan Amon had a great chance. Um, he, he does really well. He's, he's such a threat with his pace and teams seem to back off him. And a lot of the time it's clear that he's coming onto his right foot, but his feet are so quick that he's, he was able just to shift one onto his right foot just inside the box on the, the left-hand side, get that little half yard. But unfortunately for us, his shot was, was low and hard, but straight at, at Hansen and, and pre- pretty easily saved. And, and now I, I, I come on to the, the, the most controversial incident and I feel as if there's elements of this where I could just replay what me and Stephen spoke about on episode two with regards to the penalty decision. And um, I suppose in this instance, I'm, my only surprise is it wasn't Michael Tiger that was making this decision. But for me, the, there's absolutely no debiety about this one, um, even less so than there was with the Asante incident in Bromby, which I felt was an absolute stonewall penalty. This one, there is zero doubts about. It's quite clear that Jonathan Amon has Keane Hansen for pace. He takes him down the, the line. Hansen, not only does he does he lay an arm sort of on his shoulder, the legs completely tangle, which brings Amon to the ground. It's an absolute stonewall penalty, but not given. And it's the incident, again, we, we spoke about it. You've got to feel in that situation that if the pen, penalty is rightfully given, then Keane Hansen walks off the park. He's sent off. There's no attempt to play the ball. Quite clearly pulls him onto the ground. Similar to Bromby, you're in a situation where you can square up the game and be playing against 10 men for the majority of the second half. Now, there's, a, there's an old argument in football that these things even themselves out over a season. And if that's the case, then we are due a few towards the last couple of games of the season. Now, that, that might sound like sour grapes or, again, a little bit paranoid, but... The, the two in the last couple of weeks in such important games for ourselves are a really hard one to stomach. It's fine margins in football and they're not falling in our favour right now. And it, it brings up a little bit of an interesting point that me and Stephen have spoken about um, previously around whether these incidents in football will be f- resolved in the future by VAR. I know it's had a bit of an inconsistent introduction into um, English football. I know there's been some really kind of strange decisions, but... You wonder whether these decisions are reviewable situations that would stop this level of debate that we're having. Not that I feel that there's a debate to be had in terms of that the penalty was absolutely justified, but you feel as if then there's no controversy, the controversy is removed because anyone looking at that in a replay situation would make the right decision and award a penalty and most likely send the defender off. 
I think it's I think it's really telling when at the end of the game Keen Hansen actually makes the point himself that it was a clear penalty, lucky to get away with it, or words to those effect, and actually went on to say that he felt like the the referee was certainly on their side. Whether he meant with that particular incident alone, or maybe for for the majority of the game, I'm not sure. But clearly, clearly for that incident. And just when you start to think we're maybe trying to get into the game and, and Amos had a chance and Amos should have the penalty, um, we go 2 nothing down. Um, a, a diagonal ball sort of over Carlo Bartolek, who I thought he was caught in two minds a little bit. He tries to win the ball in the air when perhaps he should just let it drop over his head and square up to Onacho. But as a result of him trying to win the ball in the air, he takes himself out of the game, which allows Onacho just to sort of cut inside. And it's a really, really cool finish um, from him. I'm not 100% sure he doesn't control the ball with part of his hand. At one point, this is two touches that I think are borderline questions of handball. You can't take anything away from the finish. All of a sudden, it's 2-0 and you're looking at an uphill battle, um, which saw Casper Roman make his final change of the game and it was a welcome introduction back to the team for Godsway Donio. He's obviously been missing from the team I think around seven or eight months now. He's a player, he's, he's a strange player for me in the sense that I think when I first got sight of Godsway Donio and actually when we were over in Farham in 2016 we spoke to um, a member of um, Right to Dream and he had spoken about how Collins Tanner was the real hope um, from, from the players that they'd introduced and we asked specifically about Godsway and he said that he was perhaps more of an undeveloped player, more, maybe someone that wouldn't make quite as big an impact as Collins Tanner, but they felt that there was potential there. And let's face it, within six months maybe, Godsway Donio had completely overtaken Collins Tanner in terms of the number of appearances or the likelihood that he was being in the team. He had a great end to um, last season where himself and Gvartsen and Marcondes formed a, a great partnership or as a three up front they were causing real real problems so it, it's brilliant to have Godsway back as an option even if it is this late on in the season there's an unpredictability about Godsway I feel that, that merits his place in the team I think that he gives you goals and it goes in important games as well we'll go on to Godsway's goal in a minute but I think that makes it six goals in only nine games started this season and that's with three assists to his name as well. So he's a huge player to take out of the attack, especially when you're already looking at people like Marcus Invatsen and Emiliano Marcondes not being there. So he's, he's a huge player to have back, and again, hopefully someone that kicks on towards um, the last couple of games of the season and perhaps fires us straight into the, the Europa League. The chances of which have been boosted today, actually, um, as a result of Bromby winning the Cup in a 3-1 victory over Seelkeborg. But uh, with regards to Godsway, what a way for him to reintroduce himself also. An absolute screamer on his on his left foot, his, his weaker foot, you would say, uh, 20, 25 yards out. Absolutely rifles it into the top corner. And at that point, you're looking to come back and grab a point. It wasn't to be, sadly. And that's us seeing Bronby and Michelin twice now since the, the split, if you like. And I have to be honest, in as much as it probably pains me to say, um, I think Bronby would be worthy champions. I think they're far, far superior to uh, Michelin. I wasn't overly impressed with Michelin, actually, in either of the games that we saw them in the split. And maybe lucky is the wrong word for, for tonight's game, but I didn't find them overly threatening, even with the aerial threat that they do possess. I didn't feel like other than that first 20 minutes, they really caused us too much of an issue with that. But we're going to get more of the same on Friday. Horsens are the same style of team. That is quite clearly their strength and something they'll stick to, but I'm hoping for a repeat of the game. The last time that Horsens came to Farham, which obviously was a 
6 nothing battering. There's clearly some selections decisions for Casper Yeoman to make on her own side. I think particularly in the front three, um, as a result of Godsway obviously being back and available. Um, Asante, as I said, had missed out at the start of uh, this game in Michelin, but had been brought on at half-time, so you could argue that he might be back in the plans. I think personally, I would at home, I would be maybe looking to, to stick with the 4-3-3, um, just to allow an additional creative player in that middle of the park. I think sometimes against Horsens, they, as a result of them being a little bit stuffy, they, they may be harder to break down. I would look for someone like Mikel Rigar to come into the team in midfield alongside Jensen and Kofod. And I think up front, I'm not sure whether I would bring Godsby straight back in the team. I think there's an argument to say that you, you could, especially the impact that he had when he came on. But I think I would likely stick with the Jonathan Amon in the left, Mikel Damskam in the centre, and Ernest Asante in the right. There's an argument perhaps to say that Damsgar or Asante could lose out for Godsway. I think, especially in Farham, you're maybe looking at Horsens sitting a little bit deeper and that space in behind that Asante normally exploits maybe not being available for him. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if um, he reverts to type and picks the, the more familiar front three and keeps Godsway as an option to come on maybe at half-time or, or after an hour, depending on, on how the game's going. Regardless of the option Casper actually chooses, I think it's important that we've got those choices again up front. It's been a while now since we've been able to um, have some variety and when Marcondes left in, in January, it's very much been a settled front three with um, not too many people to come on and make an impact unless you're looking for guys like Baden to come off the bench and make an impact. So to have God's way back either as a starting option or on the bench is certainly a boost going into the last couple of games. Somewhat surprising news, Lasse Petra will be leaving um, FC Norseland at the end of his contract. He's a strange situation, there's quite clearly a lot of love for Lasse Petri um, as a result of the length of time he's been with the club. But you just wonder, similar to what Stephen had mentioned last week about Tobias Mickelson, you just wonder if injuries have just got the better of him and, and it's one of those situations where it is best for both parties to move on. Petri is maybe looking, I know he's quoted as saying that he fancied a move abroad but would be open to any other Superliga clubs that would be interested in him. And similar to Toby Mickelson, we hold nothing against him and hope he does really well wherever his next move is. Um, I have to say, I can't believe he's still only 25. He's a name that was there when we first started following the club in 2014. He was, he's one of the few that's left now from when we originally started following. But to think he's only 25 seems quite scary. Um, it just shows you the length of service the guy's provided. But he's still got a lot of football ahead of him, hopefully. Now guys, we will be returning to the normal format next week to bring back a guest and perhaps have one of the other boys make his pod debut. And as the season draws to a close, we'll be adding some additional content outside of the normal post-match pods. Um, So keep an eye or an ear out for that coming. We're looking obviously to get as much feedback from yourselves as to what you would like us to talk about. And with the World Cup coming up, maybe there'll be some content around that. Or maybe we'll have a look over the season as a whole and a review towards next season and what our expectations are and perhaps the areas of the team we feel could do with some strengthening, especially as it looks like the summer might involve some of our usual departures as well. So certainly let us know your thoughts. We're now available in iTunes and we'd greatly appreciate if you could drop a subscription or a rating. And as always, get in touch if you have anything you'd like us to cover. This is a podcast made by Northland fans, ourselves for Northland fans, so we'd love to hear your views we're keen to get you involved in this as much as we can. So as always, guys, follow us on Twitter at FCN Glasgow or myself at Collins underscore 876. And we'll speak to you after Horsens on Friday. We are FC Norseland.